You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. going on guys welcome to another episode of peer pleasure with dewey halpas i am dewey your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week this week we have jeff Irwin from will haven now will haven has been a band that has been requested so many times to be on this show by so many people uh and i figure you know what let's do this let's get this one in the bag and uh we did just that jeff Irwin was gracious enough to come on and talk all sorts of stories about the old days the sacramento scene the new days uh, new music coming with an album called Seven. Uh, Will Haven has been a band for a very, very long time uh, and has an incredible story. So I'm stoked for you guys to hear this. Uh, I want you guys to keep your ear to the ground for new music from Will Haven. Um, and uh, yeah, these guys are still doing it so many years in. Uh, it's something I could not do is is go that long in music. Uh, and I, when I started a family, got out of music got into the podcasting game now i can come home every night and sleep in my own bed and not have to worry about the rigors of the road um and i don't i don't miss it but i think these guys would miss it if it ended and i really uh applaud them for that because they are true musicians they're they're lifers and i love to see that the world needs more bands like that um that push through everything and keep going um but i'm stoked for you guys to hear this there's some great stories on here and uh yeah, what an awesome dude. Jeff is just such a nice guy, and uh, I'm glad we met through the show. I'm glad we met through doing this because um, it's always good to have a, a new friend and and especially someone in, in such a good band. So let's get some business out of the way, and we'll jump right in. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. 
peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me with guest ideas or questions or comments. We also have the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle Facebook group. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by rating and reviewing the show wherever you're listening to it. Apple iTunes uh, lets you review the show as well as rate it. And Spotify, if you're listening on there, you can go give us a rating. It really helps. Um, But if you can, shoot us a review. I really appreciate seeing those come in. And if you want to support the show monetarily, you can go sign up for the premium service. That's peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. And there you get the old episode videos. You get the past cast as well as the ad-free feed. All right, guys, I want to jump into this one. Here we go with Jeff Irwin from Willhaven. good good it's been a snowpocalypse kind of day up here in portland it's it's crazy last night we got the uh second highest snowfall in a single day in portland's recorded history really so that's crazy i uh, actually snowed here in sacramento uh, a little bit yesterday tiny bit today uh snowed on the ocean we're near san francisco today it's been pretty crazy Dude, it's everywhere. It's crazy. I don't understand what's yeah. going on, but I don't know. Yeah. Usually in, in this late in February, we don't have to worry about snow, but uh, yeah, some I reason. Said, I haven't snowed here in probably 15 years, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm glad we could get it worked out. I, I, uh, um, I'm stoked to do it. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've been trying to, I know Adrian's talked to uh, some uh, some of the works with you or something, and we're trying to work something out. And then uh, finally, just like a direct message or whatever, I was like, oh, I gotta get on that podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're there somehow. Right on. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that was, I, I don't know exactly what happened there. It was, it was a weird, I think it was, it was possibly something with work where work got really slammed for a minute there. And I had so much shit booked and it was just like trying to get it all done. And, and, uh, I just had no, like, there was like no wiggle room. It went through this like knot hole of time of, of too much booked, too much going on in my actual job. And then, uh, it was, it was chaos. It was was the big put construction is, you know, it's, (laughs) 
it's not a it's not the funnest thing sometimes to try yeah. to get it all done and you have these deadlines and then you want to do other things anyway it's a whole yeah. it's a whole mess but um anyways so you're still in sacramento yep yeah still still in sacramento whole life pretty much yeah born and raised uh traveled a little bit with the band stuff so it's, it's always been my home base um trying to maybe eventually move out of here the next couple months so uh but for now it's my home yeah <laughs> still california you're still looking at, to live in california or are you yeah well, i'm probably gonna move to the coast somewhere okay. yeah so uh slow slow migration out of that way but yeah yeah man what what was i i'm not this is this is gonna be awesome because i'm not super familiar with sacramento i the whole Sacramento scene, like, of course, you know, uh, the Deftones and Far and stuff like that, like, out of the Sacramento scene, but uh, I'm not super familiar with Sacramento. Like, we we played Sacramento maybe a couple of times. There's a place called, like, the, uh, shit, what's it called? The Cap, was it the Capitol or the Cap? Cattle Club? Cap, yeah, maybe? There was uh, the Cattle Club, which was the kind of like the big... Uh club back in the early 90s mid 90s where i've seen far deftones really played a lot and then there was a capital garage capital garage that's it yeah yeah we were there in the 2000s okay yeah that's what was after cal public closed and then that was kind of like the newer hipper venue for a little while yeah Um, but yeah it was a tiny little coffee shop that just had shows there but they were they were crazy <laughs> yeah we destroyed it <laughs> yeah it was, it was a blast we played there a couple times and actually Deftones played there once as like a surprise show really uh, yeah and you know if you've been there that place only holds what 50 people oh man <laughs> yeah i was shocked we were playing i was like wow this is gonna get ripped apart yeah and it, it absolutely pretty, did it was pretty punk rock for a coffee shop but uh it was, it was fun it was nice to have a venue that more like independent bands could play you know and yeah. have a kind of a cool vibe in there yeah man i see i'm i'm curious about that scene because like i said i don't know much about it because we never really played there but we always drove we went to san francisco we go to um we did san jose uh, uh and then we just go south like there was no was this, middle ground was this, was this in the 2000s yeah yeah this okay. was with well this was yeah in the 2000s it was with anatomy of a ghost which is the band I was in before Portugal the Man. Then with Portugal the Man, we never played Sacramento. Like we just we would just go right past. We'd go to San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, and so on. Oh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. We did Santa Cruz with Dredge uh, once. Uh, Catalyst. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Catalyst. Yeah. It was a two night run. Uh, That's awesome. They played two of their records in full, uh, one each night, and that was really great. That's and awesome. That club was amazing, but yeah, um, a great club. Nor NorCal, in general, I'm super unfamiliar with. Um, so t- tell me, tell me, like, how did you get into the scene? Like, uh, I want to, I want to hear some stories from the scene because I really, like I said, don't know a lot about it, and and that's why I was fascinated to to chat with you because you've been in it a long time. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting place. I, I've I graduated high school. I went to uh, junior college for maybe half a semester. <laughs> I was working at the time, and I went to college just to go to college. Um, I had met a girl in my one of my classes, and she had handed me. Uh, she knew we we talked about music. I told her I was in, I was a musician. I played drums since like when I was twelve years old. And so I the conversation came up that I was a musician. She's like, "Hey, you should check out my friend's band." And she handed me a demo tape. It was far 
first far demo tape that they put out and it just come out maybe like a week before. And so I took the tape and I put it in my car and I was blown away. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is a band from Sacramento. Cause back then the only bands really from Sacramento that I knew were like Tesla and um, I mean the bigger bands like that. So mm-hmm. knowing there was like a rock band from, you know, alternative rock band from Sacramento, I was like blown away. So um, I ended up, uh, going back to class and telling her, I love the, the band. She's like, Hey, the, you know, the bass player works at tower records. You should go say hi and introduce yourself. So I went down there and I met Malcolm who, which was the original bass player for par. And, and then Malcolm invited me to one of their practices. Now they used to practice in a, a, in a garage at a house. And I went over there and, and then, uh, just met Sean and Jonah and the rest of the guys in par and became really, really good friends with Sean, um, right away. And then Sean and I ended up moving in together and being roommates and, and then I met another friend of mine um, through another friend and with my friend Todd uh, Wilkinson, who actually became the guitar player in Team Sleep. Okay. And Todd's best friend was Chino. Mm-hmm. And so I met through Chino through Todd and happened to find out that Chino was in a band himself called Deftones. And Deftones were just like far. They were just a kind of a newer, upper coming band in Sacramento. And so I became really friends with Chino and Todd. And I go skateboarding with them every day. And then eventually I started going to like Deftones practices and stuff. And so we just had this small circle of group of friends, but it was mostly just us far and Deftones that I was running with at the time. And then, you know, there was a scene outside of our little friendship that was, uh, you know, we had bands like, uh, well, Cake was starting to, you know, get some recognition in town. And then there was a band called Punkly Blue Velvet. They never really got any further than the scene, but they were awesome, the local band. And we had Socialistics, which Frank Delgado from Deftones was a part of initially, and that's how we got in Deftones. And we had, uh, you know, Papa Roach came up a little bit after that, after us, us or in Deftones, they came out and, you know, they, of course, they blew up. So there was like a budding little scene that happened in Sacramento in the early 90s. And, you know, we didn't think much of it at the time. We were just friends playing music, you know? <laughs> so... But there was this really cool scene that was going on that was just really in Sacramento. You know, like there wasn't much. We didn't venture out of Sacramento too much at the time. We only played the Cattle Club and like there was a couple other little clubs in Sacramento we could play. But that was pretty much it, you know. And then Deftone started venturing out a little bit into San Francisco and then they went down to L.A. And that's how they kind of got their their initial buzz from you know record labels and stuff. But mm-hmm. for a long time, it was just Sacramento only. And it was just an awesome scene where we all looked out for each other and we supported each other and we would go to the cattle club just to go, you know, even if we didn't know any of the bands playing, we would go just to hang out and hang out with our friends. And it was kind of like our, our place to hang out as friends, you know, cause we weren't old enough to drink yet. So yeah, we would go there and it was all ages venue. So we just go and, and see shows and hang out and, you know, and it was, it was a blast, you know, and then everything after that just kind of took off. But Yeah. That's see, that's, that's so important to have an all ages venue in a town like especially when when you're that age coming up and to have a spot like like the gilman the gilmans of the world um or also like up where i'm from in alaska uh gigs was the place in anchorage it was this all ages club like fishbone played there unsane uh goldfinger who else came agent orange like all these bands came through and you know, are you going to that show? Like seven year bitch, like um, all these bands that normally I wouldn't have ever seen, but they happened to come up to Alaska and play at gigs. And that's where we would go hang out. We would drive the hour into town, 
to go hang out there. And it's, it's where you cut your teeth. It's where you figure things out. It's like where you figure out who you are. And it's yeah. so important, but it's terrible also because you can't make any money in an all ages club. You can't. <laughs> yeah. And they close. They always close because they don't have the bar tab to, to keep them going or so it seems. And having a place like that is so important though. That's amazing. So I remember Chino was telling me about Todd because uh, he was in town or something visiting and they were having a barbecue or something. Uh, he's like, yeah, my best friend Todd's in town. And that makes sense. Cause I, I, and I think I can't remember if we spoke about it. Uh, we did speak about the tower records though. Was he working there too in the warehouse uh, or something? Uh, yeah. He worked in the warehouse. I believe uh, him and she might've worked at the warehouse. Um, yeah, there was a couple spots that the kind of the musicians worked at. Tower Records uh, was one of them, and then there was another one that distributed. Uh, it was a distributing plant for Tower. Uh huh. Um, that I think Chino might have worked at the warehouse where they were distributing records to other record stores and stuff for Tower Records. So yeah. I think Chino might have worked in this in this actual store as well. Um, but yeah, it was uh, well, kind of going. You're talking about local clubs too, like all ages. We had a a very special place in the cattle club because not only was it our local venue, but it was also, there was nothing around that size for bands that were coming up. So we would get, I mean, Nirvana played there, Pearl Jam before the Pearl Jam played there, Tools, Smashing Pumpkins, Mr. Bungle. Um, all these bands were coming through and, and they were, you know, we knew they were, they were bigger bands at the time, but they weren't, if we didn't have a venue that was, that could fit them at the time. So cow club was a perfect size. It was about 250 people. So it was like the perfect size for like, no doubt came through and all these bands. So, you know, we were fans of these bands. So we go see them, but we were also playing on the same stage as they were mm -hmm. when we were headlining. So it's like, we almost felt like we were bigger than we were because <laughs> we were sharing this like stage with these huge bands or we were like playing on the same stage as these bands. So, um, and, and the, the promoter, Jerry paid the bands very well, even the local bands. So, it was, uh, I think if it wasn't for the cow club, we wouldn't have the scene we have and there wouldn't be a Jeff Jones, there wouldn't be a bar and it would definitely would be Willaven. So it was just a special, special place. And I don't think there, I think we got very lucky because I don't think a lot of towns have what we had. Unfortunately, it, it, it finally fell apart and it, and it had to close. But I think those, that was years that were open. It was like probably the most important thing in our life, you know, as far as being position in Sacramento. So, yeah. It's like the speakeasy, so man. Yeah, but going back to we, there was a bar there that was separate from the venue. Okay. Um, so if you're 21, you could go and they had a big glass window, so you could actually see the concert from the bar. And the bar probably held uh, maybe like you know maybe 100 people in the bar as well. So and those yeah. people could still see the show and be in the bar, hang out, and still you could stay away from the kids, but you could still <laughs> hang out, drink, and watch a show. So it was like the perfect, perfect place for everybody. Yeah. What ended up taking it down? What was it financial or was it? Um, I think it changed hands as far as promoter. I think Jerry Perry, uh, was the main promoter, him and Brian McKenna uh -huh. were the main promoters at the time. And I think there was a new, maybe a new promoter that come in. I, I can't remember, but there was a night where, um, we actually were supposed to play, uh, a week before, week before we were supposed to play, there was a, a kitchen fire and the kitchen caught on fire and it pretty much burnt the roof of the inside and it was all smoke. So they had to go in there and redo it. But I think they just said, you know, screw it and took the insurance money. Uh -huh. And then I think they ended up just like closing it for good and then selling it to somebody else. And I think they tried to open it again and it just didn't quite have the same, 
vibe it just wasn't the same thing and then it finally just kind of turned into this like this college like fraternity bar thing where it just wasn't even they didn't have shows anymore yeah um it's still there i think they might tear it down eventually but the building's still there so i drive by it i just have these flashbacks of all these great memories there but um yeah unfortunately i think jerry perry and brian mckenna were the two guys that really were the super glue that got those national accent but also took care of the local band so mm. Once they kind of were petered out a little bit, then the whole thing just kind of fell apart. So those were the two main guys that really kept it going. It's so unfortunate, man. I, I, I love what you say though. You drive past there, and and those memories come back. I really yeah. feel like these buildings imprint on us big time. Where these places where we experience so many amazing moments, like life changing things, whether it's us on stage, someone else on stage, uh, and we're watching it, like, just it, it, it part of you is there so when you see yeah. these things get demolished i wish there was someone out there with unlimited money just fuck you money like they would <laughs> just their sole purpose was to just keep these venues open and see what happens because it's so important and it just gets trashed and destroyed and then yeah. gone it's awful yeah. we have a, a really close friend of bars that opened a, a, a venue here in sacramento holy diver uh-huh. Uh, that was around last, probably like five, last six, five or six years. And it kind of had the same vibe as, as the cattle club. Um, he opened up and he's a music, local musician. So he took care of the local musicians. There were awesome shows in there. He had a few national acts come through and then the landlord, they didn't own the building. They sold the, they ran the company through there, but the landlord of course, like raised rent on them and he wanted to sell the building and then they had it afford. They had basically move out and they couldn't find another venue. Mm-hmm. So just little stuff like that. Just it's, it sucks that it has to go through that. But like, I wish somebody would have came in at cattle club right when it was kind of on its verge of like losing that and, and reinvested in it and got it going again. Because after the cattle club went down, like the scene kind of took a little hit and like capital garage was the next venue that we had, but it, it wasn't even close to what cattle club was. So yeah. And even today we, now that Holy divers closed, we don't really have, a venue that is anything like that. So the scene is like, we have a new record coming out and I'm not sure where we're going to play. Cause you know, <laughs> we, like, well, we try to do a hometown show, but we don't know where to do it because we have a couple venues in town, but they're, they're way bigger. You know, they hold like a thousand people mm-hmm. and then they book only national acts. So we don't really have a local cool punk rock vibe anymore. Right? That's like right in that middle stage of not too big, but not too small. So yeah, I wish there was, like you said, somebody came in and could open up a whole new space for, for our scene here. It's, it's still good. We still have great bands here, but there's really no place to like play. Yeah. Like a, like a music cares for venues, not musicians. Yeah. Totally. Like, and that's the, the Cal club took care of the musicians. That's mm-hmm. why it was different. Yeah. yeah. That's man. Well, you guys could get a, you guys could get a, uh, a national act to play that show and play that thousand seater. Yeah. We talked about maybe seeing if somebody coming through and whatever. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, especially for our home shows, we like to keep them small and, and, you know, the smaller they are, the crazier they are. Yeah. You know, when it gets too big, it's, I mean, we play bigger shows in Sacramento on our own. It just wasn't have the same vibe as playing like a smaller 200 seat place where the crowd is going crazy and mm-hmm. it's sweaty and it's gross and it just adds to the shows. So we like to try to like find something small and punk rock. Find like a rec center or something like the old day ran out of rec center or something. Yeah. <laughs> I like living room. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. A living room tour. That'd be great. <laughs> Just rip houses apart from, from yeah. here to wherever. Uh, totally. Man. Well, tell me, how did, how did Will Haven come together then back in, I mean, was it 95, 90? 
Yeah. 95? 95. Yeah. So, um, well, after I moved in with Sean Lopez, um, we, uh, well, me and Grady, the singer for Will Haven and Sean lived together mm-hmm. in a house in downtown. We lived together for like 10 years. So while we were living together, we, you know, Sean played guitar for, I had played drums at the time and then Grady was our roommate. So me and Sean had this bright idea of starting a, a band together. So me and Sean started a band together called Sock. And we had Grady, I said, ask Grady just to sing for it, you know, scream or whatever. We we're going to be a hardcore metal band just for fun. Yeah. Cause far was like, you know, when far wasn't doing anything, um, we thought we would just do this as a side project. And so we started sock and we put out a demo tape and then we played a few shows. And then right when sock started getting a little bit of like love or attention and we started trying to reach out, maybe get a record deal or whatever. That's when far got signed to uh, Epic or Mortal Records. Okay. So right when that happened, Sean's like, you know, I, I got to go to Far. So I was like, yeah, cool. That's, that's your baby go. Um, so when he did Far, I was like, well, I still want to play music. And so we tried to keep Sock going. I auditioned a couple of guitar players in town, but they were just, I mean, Sean is a very unique guitar player. Um, he has his own style and his riffs are amazing. Um, you know, you see what you do in crosses. He's a genius, you know? So mm-hmm trying to replace Sean was impossible. I'm like, ah, this is, this sucks. You know, it's like we had an amazing guitar player. Now we have got to like try to find some replacements. It's not going to happen. So that's when I scrapped the whole idea of trying to keep sock together. I was like, well, I love playing guitar. You know, I've grown up with Sean and I've grown up with Stefan. So I kind of know how to play guitar a little bit. I know their style. That's what I want to sound like. That's what I want to kind of be. So I sold my drum set, bought a guitar, and then I got my best friend, Mike, to play bass and my best friend, Wayne, to play drums. And I told Grady, it's like, hey, I want you to still sing for whatever I do. Because he'd been in sock and he kind of knew, kind of was a little bit seasoned at the time. So I figured it'd be perfect. Mm-hmm. So that's how we started William. It's just kind of like a breakup of sock. And then I just started this whole new project with some one of my best friends. And then, and then it just kind of took off from there. So, yeah, it was a very organic first, you know, just, yeah. just kind of having fun with my buddies. And then... Luckily, we knew the right people and did the, made the right songs and <laughs> kind yeah. of took off. <laughs> Good influences too. Like, so yeah. you didn't, you didn't, you hadn't played guitar very much when you started the band. Then you, you were just kind of going off friends' years that that kind of their style and what they were doing to kind of figure it out how to write songs yeah. and things like that, and just took it and ran with it. Yeah, I that's mean, I had super a interesting. Growing up, I never really played it. I mean, drums were my my baby. You know, mm-hmm. I play drums every day. But I think being living with Sean and like, cause you know, the Deftones and Far were already playing shows and I was roading for Deftones and Far and, and I was, you know, Stefan would stay at my house and I'd sometimes his equipment would stay in my house. So I'd always see his equipment in my room or go in Sean's room, see his equipment. I just was always fascinated by guitar equipment and, and the tones they got and just all the effects they could do. And I was like, well, that's way cooler than what drums can do. I mean, drums are just one sound, but with bear, they could do all kinds of clean stuff and distortion. I was like so fascinated by it. So. I think just growing up with Sean and, and, and Stefan, I was like, you know, I want to do that. I want to like play guitar and write my own songs and come up with some, my own soundscapes and my own tones and like write the heaviest stuff I can. And so to me, it was like a challenge, but it was, I was fascinated too by it. So it was just something I just took on. So I, I can do it. I can try to figure this out. So that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Do you, do you remember the, like the main pieces of gear that you really felt, uh, got you the sound you were looking for? Like, I'm sure you saw lots of gear that those guys were using, especially if you're teching for them or, or roading yeah. for them. I'm sure it was back before, you know, the, the, the behemoth that, uh, 
the Deftones gear has become <laughs> with all <laughs> Stefan's guitars and, and, uh, and amps and everything, where it's just some basic gear probably, but like, were there pieces of gear that you really feel like, um, made your sound? I mean, I know a lot of it's in the fingers and the hands, but there are some pieces of gear most people can't live without. Yeah. And I was fortunate that Stefan and Sean were both gearheads. So I don't know how they knew this, but they always knew the right equipment and they were playing stuff that people weren't playing at the time. So, you know, normal setup back then was a Marshall head and a Marshall CAD. Yeah. But Sean, um, was playing a Mesa boogie power amp. Um, and then he had an ADA preamp and ADAs I don't make anymore, but you can still kind of find them, but they were, they were kind of like the secret sauce to like the tone back then for Deftones and Par. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had, and then, you know, but it was funny because they both played the same equipment. So it was kind of, I, when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, well, Sean and the Steph both got, both got an ADA. Mm-hmm. Sean was playing a Mesa Boogie power amp. Stefan was playing his Marshall power amp at the time. And then Stefan had a couple of you know, um, effect units and Sean had his effects units. So, I knew I had to get an ADA and a power amp, but of course I couldn't afford it back then. So uh-huh. my first, my first setup was a Marshall head and a Marshall cabinet with a distortion pedal. But then, um, I, it didn't sound like them and it didn't have the power that they had. So, and to play with drummers, like I was, when I first got my guitar, I was playing with Chris Robine, uh, who was a drummer for far at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if, if any of you've ever seen Chris play or know his drumming, he hits hard. Like he is the Dave Grohl of Sacramento. He hits so hard. So I took my equipment to him the first day. I was like, Hey, let's just jam together. So I would jam with him and I couldn't hear my guitar because he plays so hard. And I was like, okay, I need to step up my game. <laughs> so I saved my money and then found a Mesa boogie and got a, uh, an ADA. And then after I got those few things where I could kind of match what Sean's tone or Stefan's tone, I was like, okay, now I have the power to like, play with a drummer or play with a band super loud and you can hear me and not get buried. And, and then I was able to tweak it, kind of create my own sound. But those were the two pieces of power, like Mace Boogie power amp and a preamp were the, the two things that made like set my, you know, my guitar tone in that, in that direction. And I actually up until recently was still playing the ADA for, for a long time. So really, uh, okay. that, was, that was still the thing, but I, I can't anymore. Cause those things are not durable, but yeah, but uh, it still sound, I mean, what 30 years later they still sound amazing so yeah i i i'm trying to remember the first people i saw do that combination i think it was aaron from isis Mm -hmm. um using the power amp and a a preamp instead of just a straight up amp i mean it's kind of the same idea you just get a lot more from both and when they're separate like that when they're when they're combined in one box yeah, and then um, those power amps, so was, like the power amp I had that was a Mesa Boogie 500 strategy, and that thing was uh, 200 watts per side. Oh, my God. So I'm blasting 400 watts, you know, mm-hmm. per side, and it just sits, I mean, I every sound guy hated me. <laughs> it was so loud, but <laughs> but it's like, I mean, that's what we wanted. We wanted to be loud, like, you know, like our favorite bands was Neurosis and stuff. Like, yeah. you got to be loud, you know, you got to be in people's face. So that's it. Once we were loud, like, okay, now we got something. <laughs> Dude, I had a sound guy once uh, use a decibel meter. I, I had two full stacks. I was the only guitar player in the band at the time, and and two full stacks. I was running Sun Gear, so I had a Sun Solaris, and I had a Sun uh, Coliseum Slave power amp that was running my other side. I had 
it was ridiculous for these clubs and he said it was like just below like an idling jet aircraft like at the airport that most states have laws where you couldn't play with this in a club if you had to and I, you could feel the like the air moving behind you and you just felt like god for a second like it was just like any note you played like you just felt like you were in an arena somewhere but then you go play an arena and you realize everyone's volume yeah. super low it's yeah, all front yeah. of house and well, all the magic is gone yeah and that's the thing about music for me it's it's not just the sound it's the it's the vibration so yeah like i wanted to when i play guitar i wanted to feel it you know mm -hmm. and that, that was the problem with the the amplifiers i wasn't feeling it but when i finally got the power of the the mesa or whatever and i felt it like kind of you know all over me i'm like okay this is this i'm feeling the music now now i can rock out now i can bang my head now i can get lost in the, in the music you know and it's funny because our singer grady doesn't wear shoes on stage and i always ask him why don't you know for the first time i was like why don't you wear shoes on stage He's like because i need to feel the band under my feet i need to feel it through my feet up into my you know, body so that makes sense it's the same thing for me i need to feel it for my cab you know yeah so it's not so much the music it's the vibration so but uh but yeah, it's like the bigger stage you play, the worse that vibration is because they don't let you turn up at all. The <laughs> like more you small lose. clubs, like you're just blowing the doors off, which which I love. You know, that's why I like playing smaller places. Yeah, unless it's the Orange or the Boardwalk in Orangeville, California. Oh yeah, uh, with yeah. Claude, the sound <laughs> guy. Yeah. Hey, uh, turn it down. I guarantee it's going to sound great. Uh, turn down just a little bit more for me. All right, turn down just another notch for me. I was on like that's one always, and a half. That's so funny. That's a, yeah. It's always a running joke of this with Claude, and it's like. You know, turn down a C hair. That's what he used to tell us. <laughs> a C, yeah. We use that in construction. They actually yeah. made a uh, they actually made a tape measure that you can buy as a joke that actually has that measurement on it. Oh really? Oh awesome. yeah. Um, do you have any good Claude stories? I know it's on the spot, but I always ask if someone knows who Claude is, if they have a good Claude story. You know what's funny is that we played there maybe twice. Um, and the first time I played there, I thought he was the biggest asshole. Yeah. Like, you know, he would yell at you and just had the worst attitude. And I was like, oh, I hate this guy. And then we played there. And I think we played one of our, we had a reunion show or something there. And I don't know what happened. Somebody said something to him and he totally broke his, his demeanor. And he was super nice. I don't, I can't remember what the conversation was, but it was something that triggered him where he was like, okay, I, I like you guys. And like, after that, he loved us. Like he took care of us, the show, you know, he like, he was super nice. And then I mean, we'd see him after that and he was like, remember who we were and like uh -huh. super rad. And I was like, okay, I, I, Claude's awesome. You know? So it was weird. I can't remember what the conversation was, but I do remember just vividly going, oh wow, Claude's like, he's not an asshole. He's super awesome. You yeah. know, he's a super cool guy. But I think he just had this, I think maybe because he knew who we were the second time or the first time when you go in there, he's like, okay, you're a new band. You're not, I'm, I run the show here. You guys are just, you guys work for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so he may have that demeanor where it's like, it's my show. But I think after he got to know us, we were cool to him. Like we were always super nice. Yeah. So I think maybe he had broken down. Like then he was like, okay, you guys are cool. I'm, I'm cool. Like I know who you are now. So, um, but yeah, he was an interesting character, but I would sometimes go to shows after knowing he was super cool, but still seeing him be an asshole to the opening bands and just made me laugh because <laughs> the band stage is like, who is this guy? Like, why is he, why is he treating us like this? But, um, but yeah, he, I got to know Claude as a, as a cool guy. And that, that's, that kind of meant more to me than thinking he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's, he's a, uh, he's an interesting guy and, 
he just came to us to complete asshole and then <laughs> after the show came up and and uh said how much he enjoyed the show and yeah and yeah. but he had to just like establish his ground like this is yeah. his club his totally. his it wasn't his club but it, it, he he felt like it was his club his equipment all that stuff don't break my mics turn down yeah. turn down turn okay just a little bit he just kept going for it like dude i can't even hear myself he's like you're gonna sound great out here it doesn't matter like, just turn it down i'll make you sound good and that was completely against anything uh anything i'd ever done before but if if someone knows claude they know claude and yeah that's what's funny about it because you any other sound guy in the country i can't think of one like off top, if you just said their first name yeah people would know and it's just claude that's it that's so that's you know so funny it. you bring that up i'm that's hilarious that you would play the brock and you would remember claude <laughs> yeah, yeah i couldn't tell you the sound guy in any other uh, the troubadour no sounds great no yep. idea who's doing sound it wasn't we didn't have a front of house yet so like it was uh could have been anyone but sound guys on their own are their own breed of people like their own breed of of uh weird like it's yeah. And it's nothing against them either, but it just takes a, a certain kind of person to be a club sound guy yeah, and deal with all these personalities all the time. It's not like a, a lot of them probably paid under the table. It's not like, hey, I'm going to have a talk with you. You're you're not doing what I want you to do. It's no, I kind of do whatever I want. Uh, they're paying me, you know, cash by the hour. Don't mess up my mics. Weird stuff. Like it's super weird people. I've always experienced that. And it. But it's almost in an endearing way. Like it's not like a character flaw. It's just who they are. It's the kind of people that are that gravitate towards that kind of thing. Like yeah. maybe they're old road dogs that just can't do it anymore on the road, or they want to be. Or I, I just don't know. I I hate saying that about them too because it's a kind of person. Like it it really is. Like there's a stereotype, but most places have that for some like, guys. Know. You could all say it for tour managers too. Because tour managers are the same True. boat. Like, I've ever had a lot of tour managers where they like the first day they are complete assholes, and then after a week of the tour, like, oh, okay, you guys are cool. Like, it's like you have to like kind of like massage them a little bit and let them know you're not it's just an asshole band. Like, you're kind of cool because they like most tour managers establish their their ground. Like, all right, this is my tour. You guys, especially if you're an opening band. Yeah. Like this isn't your tour. Mind your P's and Q's, you know, show up on time. Don't mess around. I'm like, Oh God, that's your asshole. So yeah, it's kind of the same breed. It's pretty funny. If you're in a van on a bus tour, look oh, yeah. out, man, yeah. <laughs> look out. <And> especially <laughs> if you've been playing longer than that band that's in the buses and they <laughs> still will just own your ass for a while. And then, yeah, like you said, come around. You guys are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had we've had some battles with uh, a Deftones tour manager that actually turned out to be one of our best friends for a while. But it was like that. But it, it, the funny thing is, like, we never had an issue. We had one issue with the bus. We were on the Deftones tour. We were in a, a motorhome. Mm -hmm. It was an old motorhome, and our our uh, bathroom, the the thing that the the pee goes into, like the cap had come off somewhere on the freeway. So when we pee, it would go out the cabin out onto the freeway and go all splatter over the van and whatever. So we pulled up in Phoenix, Arizona. We parked right next to Deftones bus and our motorhome smelled like piss, like straight piss. And I remember the bus driver came out of the bus and he's like, hey, you guys move that piece of shit van away from my bus right now and never park next to us ever again. <laughs> We're going to move the van all the way down the street and then we can never park next to Deftones bus the rest of the tour. It was so funny. Oh, my uh, God. That was our uh, our bus van 
dilemma for a while. <laughs> oh, so your holding tank was leaking out into the, yeah. just like spraying down the oh, road. Oh, spraying everywhere, yeah. Oh. We didn't care. We were in our 20s. We were just having a blast, and then we didn't care. Yeah, but it's but, yeah, motorhome. It did smell bad, though. But you have the advantage because you can shit in a motorhome. Can't shit in we the tour bus. Oh, you no, didn't? We no, 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 no. Oh, man. <laughs> That's the only advantage to driving around in a motorhome on tours. You can shit in there because the... <laughs> Yeah, the whole bus thing. I still tell people about that, and they're like, "What? You can't shit on a tour bus? No, you can't." But it's so expensive and fancy. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right. you can't. I don't care who you are; you just can't do it. It's. I'm look at anyway. Like seeing all those guys. You know, we've had a, a bus, and like you walk in there, and there's pee everywhere over the toilet seat, the floor. It's like I don't think I'm gonna go poo in here anyways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're pretty, uh, pretty disgusting pretty nasty, environments. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, tour. It's that whole mentality of of uh, well, I guess it's the opposite. Like, give respect until it's lost, kind of thing. Instead of just like, all right, you're gonna have to earn this with me, yeah. with sound guys, yeah. tour managers, all that stuff. But yeah, um, but they, 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 they've all turned out to be awesome though. Like, you know, you kind of go into it knowing you're gonna butt heads a little bit, and then once you, well, I mean, it's like everybody will live is pretty chill. Like, we're super nice, super chill guys. So I think once you get to know them like we walk out of that tour with you know having good friends mm -hmm. after that so um but it's funny it's like you kind of expect that going into it like okay we're gonna have to like massage these people let them know what we're cool <laughs> yeah yeah you guys you guys left for a while didn't you for a few years or did you get a different singer yeah we uh well we did uh our third record Carpadium, um uh -huh. Went, was really good and we did some great tours we actually started headlining our own tours in england and europe um and selling them out we were doing great and then right i think right around that time like we were getting close to you know our late 20, early 30s and i think we were all just like what are we kind of doing like i mean william has always been uh i mean we've done some amazing tours and had some amazing breaks but you know we never got signed to a major label and you know, we were on revelation for a lot of years and then mm -hmm. Well, we were Rev Relation until we broke up. So, you know, Rev is an amazing label and they have the, the clout like no other. But, yeah. you know, we weren't, we weren't making money on these tours. You know, we were opening up for like Deftones and Slipknot and stuff. But, you know, those uh, opening for those bands at the time didn't really pay any. You know, we were making money off merch, but that was just to get us the next show. So I think by the time we were, Carbidine came around, we were headlining shows. We were still weren't making much money at it. And we were like, okay, well, it seems like we're kind of at the top of our peak and we're not making money and i don't see us we weren't getting tour support and anything so we were kind of like let's maybe some of the guys want to do something else in our life you know because being in a band was it was I mean, we'd already been a band for six seven years and mm -hmm. we'd already done everything we ever thought we would do so i think at the time during the after the carpet diem cycle grady was like okay i think i want to start a family maybe go back to school or whatever and and by then i was i was totally even though it was exciting but i was I understood mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, well maybe I should go make some money too, <laughs> you know, start a life. So we kind of broken up and like, okay, this is it. We'll just, and then, but I'm being a musician, I knew I was going to start another band, mm -hmm. but I just wasn't going to do Willhaven. So I was kind of excited to start a new project with some other friends. Um, but I was sad to leave Willhaven as well. So we did take a little break and I started a band called ghost ride with some friends of mine. And I started a band called uh, a ball iron sloth. And we both put, we put records out with those bands. And then Grady did come back, um, maybe like three years later. And we started working on a new record with, with Sean Lopez. Mm -hmm. And, and Chino was helping with that record too. And then in the middle of that 
record, you know, we had, I, you know, it asked us to go on tour with Deftones again. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on their 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. So, uh, we had a record coming out and we had a tour of Deftones lined up and then Granny basically in the middle of the record kind of backed out and he had some family issues or life issues he had to take care of. So he backed out of it. And so we were kind of left with this record unfinished with no vocalist. And we had this Deftones tour coming up and I didn't want to not do a Deftones tour. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, uh, I asked my friend Jeff Jaworski, who was the man called red tape at the time. And I was like, Hey, can you finish this record for us? And can you go on tour with us? And so he stepped in and finished the record and we did a Deftones tour and we did a couple more tours. And then after that, Grady, I think, had missed. I think he saw that we had kind of went on without him, and he didn't like that very much. And so uh, Jeff had kind of started doing red tape again. It was perfect timing. Jeff was kind of doing red tape, and then Grady kind of was like he wanted to come back in the band. So after the that record cycle, Grady came back, and then we started working on our next record. So it was a breakup and then a slight get together and the new singer. And then now we're back to where we were before. So it was a, you know, it's like any band that goes through crazy times. It's just one of those times that we had to adjust and try to work out and figure out what we were doing. And it was, it was kind of a dark time. I guess. I mean, we weren't doing drugs and crazy shit. It was like a dark time of like trying to figure out how we make this band still go, you know, and yeah. not, not break up again or whatever. So, um, but it worked out, you know, yeah, we got, we got through, got through it. Let's just say dark times on this show usually means a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I say it was a dark time for the band, but it wasn't that dark. You Even know, Chino specifically, we talked about the dark period. 
oh, at, yeah. his, we were, at his house yeah. and it was like whoa man i had no idea you went down that road yeah, and we were on tour with them um on that sinai restore that was where we toured them on that record. oh shit um yeah so i mean i it's funny because those guys even though they went through this dark period they have somehow ever since i've known those guys they are able to put on a face to where you don't know that they're in a bad situation they're just always been super sweet mm-hmm. super fun chill dudes you know like never had beef with any of them it's like I, I didn't know. I knew they were partying, but I didn't know how dark that hole was. You know, even torn with them, I didn't really see it. You know, and yeah. we had a great time. Like we were hanging out with Chi and like Chino and and Steph and Abe. It was like old times again. So I never noticed it, but I knew they were going some turmoil within the band. But yeah, um, we saw a great time. But yeah, luckily we didn't have any of those dark times <laughs> as a band. Yeah, I, I had no idea either. That's like, I mean, you read all these things and stuff, and and. Chino and I have had some conversations. Uh, yeah, they're but they do a good job at really putting on a brave face forward or whatever, and and uh, just professional, I guess, is what you can call it. Um, yeah, and they, I, that band's always kept it in house. You know, they don't yeah. let that shit get out. You know, and a lot of bands promote that stuff. You know, yeah. like oh, we're, we're the druggies, we're the cool kids. You know, like we do all this dark shit. You know, the Deftones like they've always been very professional. They kept all their business in house, you know. Even the stuff, the Sergio situation, they pretty much kept in house, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that, and a lot of bands would promote that just to get more clicks and more likes and more interest. But they're like, no, we're cool. We're gonna do our own thing. We're gonna go out and put out a record and go tour. And so I admire them for that, you know. I mean, that's yeah. pretty. That's uh, pretty uh, awesome thing. I know? turned down okay. that interview request. Uh, for Sergio for that very reason because I'm not going to get involved in this yeah. I don't want to be used in any sort of way I just want <laughs> to stay out of it and uh yeah I'm glad I did because it that blew up into a whole yeah anyway what's crazy too is like we're all best friends and I still don't know what happened I mean that's how in-house it is I still don't know the true story oh, wow. I, okay. I never, I never asked her, you know I never really <laughs> yeah. asked Abe I never yeah. I never got into it. You know, I was just like, that's your guys' situation. Like, that's none of my business. You yeah. know, like I'm not, people are going to ask me interviews cause I know the guys, but I don't, I don't know what happened. So, yeah. um, and they, they'll, they'll, if they want to tell me someday they can, but if, if, if not, I'm cool with that too. So, but I, I, I admire that though. It's, that's their band. That's their business. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, yeah. I'm just here to, here to, I'm here to hang with them, you know, be their friend. <laughs> just good. Exactly. Just good people. We go, that's the weird thing. I know. And not to make this all about that either, because, uh, but it's funny looking at bands like that for so many years as a fan and then all of a sudden seeing them in a completely different light of just, oh, it's just so-and-so. Like, uh, you know, my, my, my son Grayson will ask every once in a while, can we go to Chino's house? Because <laughs> you got to go there once. Like with, with uh, uh, I was dropping something off or something. I had him with me. And he he grabbed the the uh, the white the white pony Grammy off the oh. thing and almost <laughs> dropped it on the floor and I had to catch it. And I made the joke that Grace and my son touched the Grammy before I did. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, uh, he'll ask about that. Just like he has no idea who he is or what he does. Every once in a while, I've, I've shown him. I was like, "Oh, you want to see? You know where where Dad knows you know this from?" And I'll put it on YouTube or something. And he's just like. <laughs> like blown away by it like he has no idea what's going on he does not like uh, loud music oh uh, yeah he's called it dad screaming music he just doesn't like it um 
but anyway, he uh, uh, just yeah, great people, and and um, you know they handle everything in in a very good way, and and um, that's what the whole the whole dark period joke was about was because <laughs> no idea how deep it went, and um, so I wanted to know through these times though, like what were you doing? Cause if music wasn't paying the bills, what were you doing for work? And like, what do you, what do you do? What keeps you afloat while you're doing the band stuff still? So I, when I started Willhaven, I was working at UPS. Okay. Uh, I was working the morning shift from like four in the morning till nine driving. No, no, I was, uh, at the time I was sorting packages. Okay. So they would load off the trailer and I would sort it to the, address supposed to go to. So I did that for like eight years and I did that right actually before I even graduated high school, I was working there. And so I was working there all the way up until I started basically, I think I quit right maybe two years in, a, in Willhaven. Okay. Um, because we were starting to play a lot of shows and then we got offered a tour across the United States. So I went to my boss at UPS and hey, I'm going to take a leave of absence. They're like, nope. I was like, okay, well I quit. <laughs> so Yes. Um, so I quit and then, um, my mom and my aunt own a business, um, together. And so they, uh, it's basically just like clerical work for, for the state of California. And so I had told my mom, I was like, Hey, I quit UPS. Um, can I come work for you for a little bit while I kind of do the band thing to make some money? And she was like, yeah, sure. We, we need, we could use you. So I went in there and it was kind of just a temporary thing where I would just work with them, um, so many days a week. And then, um, so I was kind of, when I wasn't on tour, I'd go to work for them. And then I ended up just staying there and kind of helping, you know, be a part of the business. So, uh, I still work there now. I still work for my aunt and my mom and, um, but it's been able to like, give me a life outside the band. And plus I can still, I mean, we don't live. It's kind of a, a unique situation was where, you know, we have a little bit of a cult following. So if we do go out and play, we can go do a week in Europe or England and, and headline and do okay and make enough to break even. So we're not paying for our tour. You know, we break basically just even, you know, we come home, we leave with something, we come up with the exact same amount of money. Um, so, and then we can do a couple of us things and stuff. So we're in a good position where it's not like, you know, we can still have a life, but we can still do a band as well and still not take it, a hundred percent serious, but just enough to where we can keep it, you know, relative or whatever. So, um, it's a cool situation, you know, and I, I, when I look back when I was just my star will Haven, yeah, my goal was to maybe get signed and be like Deftones because like I grew up with those guys since we were 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. So I watched them go from a garage band to getting on, you know, Epic and, and Maverick and, and blowing up and then, you know, before I knew it, Stefan's like, Hey, come over and check out my kiss pass. You know, like we went to tour with kiss and Pantera and all that stuff. And I was just blown away. I was like, Holy shit. Like what happened? Like we were just hanging out a week ago and you guys are on tour with Pantera. now it's like, <laughs> okay, this is crazy. But seeing that I was like, Oh, I'd love Will even to be that. But looking back, like seeing how hard, you know, and far didn't survive, you know, they got kind of eaten up in that machine, unfortunately, because I think they would have been huge, but just there's it's a lot of work and seeing the deftones go from this local band to where they are now like how much work they put in how much chino was never home and 
A was never home. And those guys were on the road constantly and like the burnout. And I can see why they had dark times because it's, it's a, it's hard. It's a hard life. Like yeah. it's not easy. And they've now got to the point where they can pick and choose what they want to do and take a lot of time off and be at home and have a normal life. Like we've always had. So mm-hmm. I kind of like where we were and how we ended up. Cause I don't know if I could have survived that, that rigorous, you know, job that they had. You know, it's a job, you know, people think it's a rock star. It's like, eh, but it's not, it's hard work. You know, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. The travel, the no sleeping, the, you know, being sick, like everything. So mm-hmm. now like I th- I'm happy where we are, how we ended up being, you know, we never went that far out, even though we toured a lot, we didn't, we weren't out for like years like they are. So, mm-hmm. um, but we've all been able to have a job where it's allowed us to do that. And we've been very fortunate. I mean, a couple of guys in the band do have kind of odd jobs. They still do and, and play music, but a lot of us, most of us in the band have jobs that are pretty secure and, and, and the real jobs, you know? So, yeah, but it's, it's, I've been lucky, I've been fortunate. I don't know how I got fortunate, but I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can do, I mean, you can, you can dip into that life when you want. You don't have yeah. to be that you, you can go to the hardware store without someone hassling you. You can yeah. do it's something that gets lost when you get to that level, you lose that anonymity, you lose that sense of self. Like you become so-and-so from so-and-so mm-hmm. like we've talked about, like you become Chino from Deftones. Like you're not Chino. Yeah. You're Chino from Deftones. Like that's your identity now, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're Jonah from far. Like you, uh, or Sean from far, like you, you, you're, you're no longer who you are. You're who people think you are, who they think they know you to be. And you either have to put that on or, you know, it's not going to work. So you're always on, you're always, I mean, people are going to come to you in the airport and all this stuff. Like having that anonymity is almost worth more than any money in the world. It seems like, because you can choose when you want to be on and off. You can choose where you want to go and what you want to do instead of it being structured on a, on a master tour sheet or whatever, you know, like, uh, that's something that looking at like when the Portugal, the man guys took off and I was already out, I almost felt lucky because I didn't have to go through all that crazy stuff that they still go through schedule wise and, and being gone all the time. And like the first couple years of your kid's life, you don't see him hardly at all unless it's on the bus and you, you have a, someone watching them while you're on stage. Yeah. So many things you lose out on to get some cool stuff just almost doesn't seem worth it to me. But that's me. Uh, but being able to dip into that life, you know, and go back, you know, uh, when someone's in town, taking my wife or somebody or a friend of mine to go hang with a band that they absolutely love and and meet them and stuff like, hey, you want to meet so-and-so? Like, uh, yes. You know, mm-hmm. you get to bring them with you and show them this cool part of life. And then you go home and sleep in your own bed at night. Yeah. Like you don't have to go get on the bus. You don't have to go get on a plane. And yeah, you go to work and you do your thing and you may like it, you may not, but you still know what that life's like and you know what you're missing. And it almost helps in a way. Yeah. I think it's almost a gift. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's great. And it's great for us too. Cause like, I mean, we still have a pretty good following in, in Europe. So like when I'm home, I forget I'm even in a band, mm-hmm. you know, to me, I'm just Jeff Irwin, the normal dude, you know, like you said, I go anywhere. No one knows who I am. And then I go to, we go play a show in England or whatever. And I do, you know, I do get recognized or whatever, especially 
at, if I'm hanging outside the venue before we play, like kids want to autographs, they wait for us for autographs. And it's like, it's just definitely this like bipolar or this like thing that's like, okay, I'm home, I'm normal. And then when I go on the road, I'm a rock star. And it's so weird, you know? And I, when I'm home, I forget. And I go there, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I get to be a rock star for a week or whatever. Yeah. And it's such a cool, like, yeah, it's like I get to, like you said, dab my feet in a little bit and then come home and I'm like, okay, now it's, that's gone. You know, that's like a totally different person. You know, it's like, yeah. there's a superhero and then there's the car can't, you know, it's like, but it, being on all the time, is like, it's, I don't know if that would be very hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's funny cause like one of my best friends is Chris Fain who was in Slipknot. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so Chris would come stay with me in my house a lot, of, you know, comes live with me for a little while. And what I loved about him is like, we would go out in public and no one would know who he was, you know, cause he wore masks and like, he, he wasn't, he didn't take a lot of pictures out his mask on. So no one knew who we were. And we walked on the street and we'd see a kid with a slipknot shirt. And when we would stand next to that kid, the kid had no idea who Chris was. and would probably freak out if he knew he was next to Chris Fane. And I would just sit there and laugh. I'm like, this is so cool that you can actually go out and be in the biggest band in the world and no one knows who you are, you know? And I thought it was so rad. I was like, that's the perfect life right there. It's like, <laughs> you get to be this huge rock star, but you're like, I'm just a normal dude. Like knowing, and he loved it. He loved not being, you know, famous. And like, he liked being kind of in the, he wouldn't even talk to me. If he saw a kid with a slipknot shirt, he wouldn't talk to him. He was like, eh, you know, it's kind of whatever, a nod to yeah. whatever. But he'd say, he was, oh, yeah, I'm, Chris, I'm in that band. You know, he wouldn't do that, which I always thought was cool. So, uh, yeah, if you can somehow, like, stay out of that craziness and still have a life, I think that's definitely the way to go. Because, yeah, if, like, Chino walks into a bar and 100 kids want to buy him a drink and talk to him. He's like, you can't have a normal night. You know, it's like, yeah, we would go out to bars and clubs after shows and he wouldn't come with us. Cause it's just like, it's just too much for him. Like he wants to go rest and hang out and yeah. get his sleep. And like, if he goes into a bar or a club with us, he's going to get mobbed for five hours and he can't even like catch his breath, you know? Yeah. So that's so funny. The first time, uh, he, he, he wanted to go get lunch and I was like, okay. And he told me the place and it's across the street from a very large music store in Portland or a uh, record store in Portland. And we meet up for lunch, and the only reason anyone at this place even turned like twice to look at him was because he pulled up in that fucking blazer, no. that <laughs> jacked up blazer is his dad's, yeah. and it's just yeah. like, bruh, bruh, bruh. And, and it's like a quiet kind of neighborhood, and it's like this little deli place, and everyone's got their little cars and stuff, and he just right through there, <laughs> sunglasses on, the, the black hair, and uh. He hops out, and that's the first time we'd ever actually met in person. We've been talking on the phone, and so he was a fan of the podcast, and and, and yeah. there's a whole story. I thought it was fake. It wasn't. Anyway, weird, weird happenings. But that's the first time we actually met in person, and we go get sandwiches, and he doesn't, of course, does not let me pay ever, uh, which drives me nuts still. Sit down having a sandwich, and all we talked about was the podcast. I couldn't get any Deftones questions in. I couldn't get all he wanted to know was about what I was doing. And I was like, this is really fucking cool, but also I want some balance here. And, uh, we look across the street and there's a line around the block at the record store. Um, I realize it's record store day. um, And I was like, Hey, you want to go start a riot? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I can't even, I can't even look over there. Like, (laughs) can't but i was like i think how funny it would be to just eat finish lunch and just cruise over there and like walk through the line and just watch people just be like what the hell like in portland what like uh but yeah he he you know maybe one or two people kind of like side-eyed like i think i know who that is but yeah. no one said anything 
And we, we talked for a good, I don't know, two and a half, three hours almost, like we usually do. But it's nice being with somebody that can be off at that point for a minute. They change. Yeah. Like you're you're well, complaining about your wives or like, what? Well, I mean, or your kids, like, oh, so-and-so did that. You know, you're having a real conversation for a second that's not, uh, oh, tell me about this, you know, or, or you remember that? That was awesome. Like the Chris Farley thing where <laughs> you remember when you were in the Beatles? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, it's a funny thing with those guys that I think it's one of the reasons I love them so much is that even us being in Willhaven and, and them, the Deftones, like I, I hang, when I hang out with those guys, we don't talk music. Yeah. You know, like we talk about life and about our friends and it's like, they, it's funny. It's like, they're such non rock stars, you know, yeah. like, they're just, and they've been this way since the day I met him. I met, I met Chino. I was like 18 years old and he's like still the same Chino that I knew back when I was skateboarding with him as when I was 18 years old. So that's why I think, I think Wilhaven are the way we are is that growing up with those guys and the far guys are so humble and so down to earth and they didn't let the rock star life get to them. Like you don't, mm-hmm. I don't go out with Abe and him like, big guy anybody he's totally cool and somebody comes up to him we'll talk to him and like in sacramento people seem around they don't really bother him as much because they know they live here and they seem around all the time but yeah but like when we're together we don't talk i don't like say what's up with deftones uh, it's like more like oh what's up what are you doing like you know how's life and and they've we've always been like that even when we're on the road we don't talk music or whatever it's like just they're good people and they want to talk just about normal things you know and and being in a band like that, I mean, all they hear is death tones, like interviews and stuff. So like when they were hanging out with their buddies, they want to talk about life, you know, and about stuff outside of the band or outside of music. So that's a cool thing I love about them is they're not, I think that's one thing I took from them is being a musician. Like don't get caught up in that shit. Just mm-hmm. be humble be yourself. Be the same guy that you were when you grew up in Sacramento, you know, don't cool guy anybody, you know, mm-hmm. don't just be yourself. And I think that's why we've gotten a lot of good things come our way because we're not like that you know like we're not when we go on tour with the band we're not like oh we're, we're cool or it's like no like thank you for having us we're honored mm-hmm. we don't know why we're here you know? like, <laughs> it's just like we're just some guys from sacramento it's like yeah uh, but I, I i take a lot from them not only music music wise i mean i to me they're my idols musically you know growing up with them i love chino i love steph and abe is my favorite drummer it's like but Personally, I love them in a different way. I just love them how they are as people and mm-hmm. how they can be rock stars, but also be normal people too. So yeah, and so I've learned a lot from them. Like, you know, they're a big influence on me musically and just personally. Yeah, dude, that's amazing. I, I, uh, are you guys doing Furnace Fest this year? Yeah, yeah, we just got announced yesterday. Oh, I think awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out going to that. Awesome. Yeah, I want to do like a live podcast like each day. Time. Uh, I've never done that. And I, it looks like a lot of fun. Like just, I've got all the stuff to do it. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to try to make it out this year. I didn't last time. Um, but I've got enough time ahead of me right now that I can probably get it worked out to where, uh, hopefully we can make it cool. My problem is I know I'm going to want to do a million podcasts there and I'm not (laughs) going to see any bands, but if I just go and watch bands, I'm going to want to wish I was doing podcasts so it almost seemed like too much of a good thing, and I just said no last time. I was like, I just was not going to go. Oh, Can't yeah. handle it. It's too much. And yeah. uh, I'm kind of regretting that now. But 
Um, yeah, and, there's got to there's be a balance in there, I guess. But yeah, it's all balanced. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Like we were talking, like being able to be in that life and out of that life. The yeah. balance is a gift. Um, and you said you you guys were putting out a new record. Yeah, we just finished it. Uh, God, we've been working on it for like three years now. We started really? during COVID. Yeah, we started during COVID. Um, well, actually, our last record, Morte, came out in 19. Mm-hmm. Or was it? No, it was 18, I think. And I almost thought we were going to break up after that record. You know, I thought we were just kind of like, eh, whatever. And then that record did really well. And we toured a lot on that record. So we're like, eh, let's make a new record. So we started in 2020, just started writing music. And then COVID hit. So. We didn't know what was going on, but we just kept going to the studio and working on songs. And then all of a sudden we had kind of a record and then I was working on it um, at home and back in the studio. And then it was just like this very slow process that we were, because we didn't know if we were going to play again. We didn't get a tour. We were supposed to do download festival, uh, the UK one in 2020 and that got canceled of course. So, and then we got added in 2021, but that got canceled as well. So like, oh, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> so, we just kind of held on to the record and I just kept working on it personally at home and stuff and trying new ideas. And then, and then we got to do download last year, um, which was awesome. So after that, we're like, okay, let's go back and finish the record. So we finally finished it and it should be out this summer. I think we're going to try to get it out in mid summer. So by the time we play furnace fest, it'll be out for a while. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited about it. It's probably to me, it's my favorite Wellhaven record. Okay. Um, it's heavy. It's got riffs. It's, it's ambient. It's huge. It's, it's beautiful. I love it. So I'm stoked that we actually finished it and we were able to like do another record. So it's always yeah. a process with this band, but <laughs> is it finished? So it's finished mixed and mastered everything. Not master. It's, uh, I got, we finished the mixing about two weeks, three weeks ago. Okay. Um, and now it's heading off to get mastered down and then the artwork and stuff. So yeah, everything else is, it's done. Just need to be mastered now. Badass. Send that to me if you will, when, when it's done, like I would love to, hear oh, yeah, it. I, I would love to hear it. And, um, yeah, dude, that's, that's killer. Yeah. yeah the, think the band's over and then make another badass record. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was like reading a lot of the Furnace Fest comments, and there was a lot of people like stoked that we're playing. Oh my God, you got Will Haven. Oh my God. And then a lot of people were like, I didn't know they were still a band. <laughs> we've been around for the last, you know, I think a lot. We got back together in 2011. And we've been putting out records constantly since. Like, yeah. Like, so it's like people don't even know we're still around. So, man. Um, but it's cool that like, people still know the name and, and still recognize it. And like people are excited we're playing Furnace Fest. So that's, that's awesome. So hopefully that, you know, that we can get this record out and get it to more people and spread the word. Cause it's, I think it's a great record and it'll appease the old William fans, but I think we can get a whole new slew of fans too off this record. So I'm hoping it, it'll, you know, get out there and get some ears, some new ears anyway. So. Yeah. That's fantastic, yeah. dude. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's awesome you. news. Yeah. Uh, are you still close with Jonah then? He he moved up here. He's up in this area. Yeah, I haven't talked I'm to him. I'm not going to blast him out uh, where he's at, but he's up in this area now. Yeah, I, I saw that he moved <laughs> up there. Um, I talked to him every spring every once in a great while. I, okay. I'm, I'm a lot closer to Sean. Yeah. And uh, Chris, Robine from far. Those are my, my dudes. Um, i got to get Sean on this show, man. I've, I reached out to him once or twice, but he's he's even said it himself. He's kind of... Uh, not not flighty but weird with social like everyone sometimes he checks it sometimes he doesn't and uh yeah we've been trying it's to funny that he and i text each other every day and we, he responds right away but if i send him a message on instagram he won't read it yeah i'm like what are you 
Dylan, did you not check your Instagram? He's like, oh, I don't check that shit. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I got to text him, but um, it gets lost. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I'll, it'd be awesome. Um, I, I'll try to get him on there for a uh, hook up with him. So, oh, sure, man. I, yeah, I, I, I uh, figured it would just happen when it happens. So I don't, uh, I've, I've learned to be patient in this game of uh, yeah. it'll happen when it happens because if you're not, you'll kill yourself. Like just trying to like follow up and, and, and uh chasing these things it just it just, it's fun for a while and then it starts to, to eat away at you you've had some pretty amazing people on your I, podcast pretty awesome but i uh, thank you i i did like i said it's been a chase like a lot of them yeah. have been a chase um and it's a lot of it's you know one person is on and and then oh you should talk to this person or you yeah. should talk to this person <laughs> and that's kind of where it took the direction for a while yeah. it's kind of yeah. interesting to see where it went because it's like instead of like oh here's a list of people i would talk to it's like oh who should i talk to next and that person was like well i'll connect with this person and that it literally became like a web it was crazy um and went all over the place so some yeah. of that's where that those people came from was oh you heard this person there's a little band called this i'm like uh, yeah i've heard of that band oh well, <laughs> you should have them on well here's their number okay here we go and that's yeah. uh <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes but it's, I mean, I mean, most musicians, they, you know, we like enjoy talking, you know, and, yeah. um, it's funny. I said, I've done a lot of podcasts and, and most of them are pretty good and pretty like, you know, know their stuff. And, um, you know, sometimes you worry about getting on a podcast. They don't know their history. They're just like, you know, clickbait stuff, but yeah, majority of it's been really great. And, you know, I know your podcast really well. I heard Chino on it, Ross Robinson. So I've listened to you quite a bit and, what I love about yours is you, you know, you talk, um, about life and about all kind of certain things, not just about the band and stuff. And I, I really enjoy those podcasts, you know, there's stuff that Chino had talked about on your podcast that I had learned that I didn't really know the whole story about. So it's, it's cool when you get to know the musician and like kind of on a deeper level than just like, yeah, hey, you recorded the Olympus record, no? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which I like, I like podcasts like that. That's why I, I reached out to you. I was like, oh, I'd be cool to get on Tim Dewey's podcast. I appreciate that, man. I, 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 that's the thing. Like this show has to go this way because it's the only way I know how to do it. Yeah. And, but I love listening to those podcasts where they get like analytical on a record or whatever. I love listening to them. I don't like doing them. Yeah. Uh, and for exact reasons like that, like people hearing stuff, I, I hate the headlines that come out from these shows. It feels dirty. Because it's just a conversation between two people. It's not like, hey, let's try to get these clicks. Those don't help me at all. They don't help yeah. them at all. It's just yeah. something for someone else to post up there to sell ad space. And uh, I, I don't like it. And and um, so that's why, you know, talking about life and things that actually matter. These are the kind of conversations you'd have backstage somewhere when you're talking with somebody. <clears throat> not like going up and meeting someone for the first time necessarily. But these are the conversations that happen on tour like three weeks in where you've yeah. gotten rid of the, Oh shit, you're so-and-so from so-and-so and gotten real for a second. That's the whole idea about it. And I think that's why like there's stuff Chino and I have talked about uh, offline that, that some stuff came up in one of those conversations and we weren't on video, but I looked at him and I was kind of like, <laughs> and he looks at me and he's like, yeah, I think I want to talk about that. I was like, yeah. okay. But I was ready to say, like, nope. Yeah. Uh, well, 
but yeah, yeah and then it gets picked up and it's a whole nightmare yeah well i mean the podcast should be about i mean most people enjoy podcasts as being a fly on the wall you know they want to hear two people conversation about whatever especially about people musicians that you look up to such as like and there's conversations that i would love to have a chino about life that i haven't got to have talk about him yet mm-hmm. but if you were to have that conversation with him, i'd love to be on the front of the wall and just listen to his insight or you know his thoughts and stuff like that but that goes with any musician it's like yeah i know about you can i know everything about radiohead or whatever but i'd love to hear tom about, talk about something else besides that yeah just to kind of get find out what kind of person he is you know where he's coming from and where he gets these ideas and stuff so yeah which i think is much more fascinating like hey what did you what tuning did you play on okay computer it's like i kind of already know that i can read about that like i want to know something else about him so um yeah but i think most people want to listen to a podcast and be a fly on the wall and just say okay i'm not supposed to be in the room with them when they're talking about this but i am you know and yeah that's so it's kind of cool that that's voyeuristic cool. thing and yeah, totally. that's how you're hearing a friendship start too like yeah that like a natural thing happened instead of you're listening to a transactional thing. Okay. He's getting all the headlines he needs for whatever magazine or, you know, Oh, he's talking to so-and-so. Okay. They're going to go down this list. Um, and I, like I said, I love listening to those, but I don't want to be a part of them. Um, Well, that's being a musician. That's majority of our podcast interviews as those people from like the magazines, like the hard hitting, like the quick questions, and they want to know about the record da, 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 and that's it, yeah. you know? And I think that's why we don't get a lot of podcasts like that. Maybe that's why Chino was so into it because you are talking to musicians, but you're not talking about that specifically. Yeah. You're going deeper and you're asking questions about life and about what they believe in and, and getting some kind of them to reveal themselves a little bit. And I think that's, what's appealing to it. And, um, that's why I enjoy your podcast. You know, there's stuff that I learned that Ross was talking about. I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. I didn't use, you know, there's some things that I didn't, I mean, I know Ross really well, but there's things that he had said, like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, it, it's cool insight, you know? So, um, yeah, these, I mean, these podcasts are important, you know, for a musician because we don't really get to talk about stuff outside the band so much. It's always about, Hey, what's the coming out? When'd you do this? When'd you do that? When'd you do that? Yeah. So, it's kind of annoying actually. That's the whole point, man. And Ross is a wonderful human being. We didn't yeah. know each other before this either. And we yeah. we keep in touch still. Like it's he's a wonderful person and I'll bounce ideas off of him or like just random stuff. Like it, and there you go. Like there's yeah, your he, answer. It's wonderful. Yeah. I, I met him through um friends of ours who were recording with him at the time. Mm-hmm. Um friends of mine. Um they're called uh my my own private Alaska. Okay. And they were, yeah, they were recording mm-hmm. at his house in Venice and I had a mutual friend that knew them. So like, Hey, I want to go see my friends at Ross's house. You want to go? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go. <laughs> yes, I do. So I ended up going there and um, spending some time in the studio with him. And then me and him just clicked because he rode motocross and so did I. So we had this bond of like motocross and then we just kind of became friends. And then I went down there again and we would go ride dirt bikes together and then we'd have these long drives where we would talk and stuff. But you know, it was, I was a little intimidating because it's Ross Robinson, you know, uh-huh. but you know, we had mutual friends, but he just was so welcoming, you know, and I, you know, I think he, I mean, he knew I was in Wilhaven, but I don't think he cared, you know, like, I don't think it was, he was not impressed at all. He just like what I, he liked my hobbies and what I was into. So we clicked on that and then he just became spot. He let me stay at his house in Venice, you know, and stay in his bedroom or his guest bedroom. And, you know, took me out to dinner and all this stuff. It's like, he was such a beautiful guy. And then the more I got to know him, the more he was starting to open up spiritually and talk about, 
you know, his spiritual world. And, and then he gave me a book that his, like his stepdad had written, um, you know, his mom was into it too. Yeah. All this, you know, stuff. And so he gave me a book about, you know, enlightenment and all this stuff. And I was really intrigued, but you know, at the time in my life, I wasn't quite there yet. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I, was, I was intrigued, but I didn't know how to take it in. And now I do now I, I get it. But now I look back and I kind of miss not taking more from him and, and sitting down and talking to him more, you know, it's more about music and stuff, but yeah. Um, I'd love to have those conversations with him again. I've talked to him in, in, in a while, unfortunately, but you should reach yeah, out to him. Man. Yeah, I've tried. I, it's, it's, I don't have his number anymore. Um, I got a new phone. I lost all my numbers. I'll I tried bring, to reach him on Instagram, but I'll bring it up. Uh, yeah. If you, you've talked to him, just tell yep, him, you know, I'll I, talk to I miss him. him and I love him. And, um, he's, uh, now I understand him more. I, I get it. And he just, it's funny because people look at him as the producer and all this stuff, but there's a huge other side to Ross that, that people don't get to see. And they're starting to see him now with your podcasts and stuff that he's been a little more open about stuff. But man, Ross is a, is an individual that just, uh, is very unique. And I don't think if it wasn't for Ross, those records, the first corn record, mm-hmm. Life is Peachy, Roots, they would not sound anything like they do. Like yeah. you can hear Ross in those records, you know, in the yeah. record. And, um, so not only a great producer, it's more about him as a person that made those records so great, which I don't think people understand unless they, unless you know, Ross, you know, yeah. Yeah. You do now. I'm getting to learn Ross very well. And, and he, yeah, a fascinating human being. That was yeah. one of the most captivating, like two hours of my life where I was just like, <laughs> I, one of those things where you can't believe this is happening. Not that I was talking to Ross Robinson necessarily, but there was so much energy going back and forth yeah. that it was like, I don't even know how to describe it in words. Like it was just this connection of like where you're having this experience and you can feel it in your bones and it had nothing to do with who either of us were. It was just two human beings connecting on a level that was fucking insane, not knowing each other at all before and only knowing peripherally, he knew nothing about me. And I knew all these things about him that I thought that were necessary, like probably a lot of them were fabricated and I was trying to clear the air on them. But I walked, I had literally was just laying on the floor after that for a good <laughs> half hour. Just like what just happened? Yeah. He's, he's on a different journey than most people. It's you know? and, and, yeah. And it's like, unless you like get this, I got to spend some good time with them. And until you spend some time with them, you just, you don't understand, but you leave going, Oh my God, like that guy is not, He's a spirit. He's on this whole spiritual path that is different than anybody that you will normally hang out with. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about Ross is that, yeah, he loves his work. You know, he loves what he does, but I think the spiritual journey is way more important to him than mm-hmm. anything he's done musically. Like yeah. when, you, when you get to know him as the person, he can give a shit about the first corner record. He's all about enlightenment and, and becoming a better human and, mm-hmm. and spirituality. And it's just like, it's, it's a whole nother lesson you learn from him, which is, awesome dude that's like i'm now that like spending time with him and looking back God, he had so much like more to offer me i just wasn't i think it's been as much time as i wanted to with him you know it's been the time i had i should have spent more time like that you know yeah i'll see if i can reconnect you guys because he that needs to happen because i feel like if i sat on a bench between him and rick rubin i might float like like, it's just of all the just powers and and uh spiritual uh wonderment but 
yeah, I, 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 t- I end up talking about Ross a lot on this show now since that yeah. day. And there's all sorts of great Ross stories from other people. Like Jeremy Baum had a great one and Justin Pearson and, and, uh, uh, Unfortunately, I already had Jonathan on from Corn before I talked to Ross, so he told me some Ross stories, but it was before I talked to Ross. And uh, anyway, so the next time I do it, it'll be in person. I'll just fly down there and be like, all right, let's meet up here and we'll do it this way. Because over Zoom is something, but like it was just, it was weird. It was just like. Yeah, it's, it's his energy with him, being with him, his energy is definitely different than talking to him on the phone or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's a. Uh, He's a special guy and, and and it's i think i mean but you see like with jonathan and like you know the people that he really touched you know get it you know like you know sid from i mean even when i was talking to chris fain about it like he was like yeah it was definitely a, a cool experience you know and mm-hmm. it's the people that he actually touches that that really get it you know i think jonathan got it you know, I mean, by now i realize that after years i get it you got it um, not everybody gets it though. Everybody kind of is like, you know, mm-hmm. they don't know how to take it, you know, but you gotta be open to it. You, you gotta know? be receptive all the time. Totally. Yeah. And like, once you are, he will flood you with it. It'll be like, you know, here's a book to read. Here's this. And like, I still have the book on my coffee table, you know, that he gave me. Um, is it on the work? Uh, his I, mom, I, his mom does a thing called the work. It's like four yeah. steps to analyze thoughts. Yeah. His mom has something. And then his stepdad or his wife's husband, I believe, um, he wrote a book and he was into it too. That's and the he book he a, gave you was that from, yeah. Uh, that's that. Okay. That book. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah. And he, yeah. He was like all about it. And I thought that was rad because, you know, we talked music a little bit, mm-hmm. not much. That was more about life. And we were really, really into motocross. Me and him went riding dirt bikes all the time. And, uh, that was kind of his spiritual getaway from music. Yeah. You know, the world was getting on a dirt bike and just go and, you know, race dirt bikes and go jump and like, mm-hmm be free you know like that was his getaway i think it's like gravitated for me because i was a musician musician but i also like doing the same thing he did like i'm gonna go with my dirt bike screw music i'm gonna go out and go you know go be free and so yeah uh, yeah he, he's a cool guy and yeah. uh i enjoyed that interview i will i will definitely get you guys reconnected uh very soon and uh also if you t- if you end up talking to chino I'll, I'll fuck with these uh blogs real quick uh, if you end up because they you say his name, they literally transcribe every word you say afterwards. <laughs> it went, next time you talk to him, have him tell you the story about the practice space here in Portland and the building manager. He'll oh. know exactly what you're talking about, and it's fucking hilarious. A super chance yeah. thing happened at the weirdest time. He called me right after it happened. He's like, I have to say something about this. Uh, <laughs> have him tell you that story. The, the practice space in Portland and the okay. building manager. Oh, okay. Getting ready for the the um, the comeback tour that they did after COVID. Uh, oh, okay. It's, they probably practice there? No, no, no. Just him. Oh, oh. oh just him. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, okay. But yeah, anyways, I'm not going to tell anyone what it is because they don't need to know. <laughs> but I'm going to see I'm going to see Abe tomorrow. So maybe I'll maybe he might have told Abe about it, right? Probably after soon after. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Anyways, dude, thank you so much for doing this, man. This is awesome. And, uh, thank you for reaching out and uh, finally getting me on here. It's, uh, yeah, uh, I've been trying for a while to to talk to you, but yeah. And I'm sorry that took so long. And I, I, that's all on me, but, um, I, I just really appreciate the time and, and, uh, just, yeah, I'm stoked, man. Hopefully I'll make it to furnace fest. 
and see you guys yeah, live. Definitely know, uh, yeah, definitely know if you're coming out and uh, love to hang out with you. And then, uh, you absolutely, know, I, I'm good friends with like you know Jamie Johnson, those guys that like going to do a podcast. Like I can try to get wrangle those guys up for you, whatever. And that'd be sweet. I know he there, just yeah. did a, a podcast with Ross and Sid from Slipknot. Yeah, I saw that. I saw it today. I, I like, haven't listened to it yet, but I've, yeah, I I got to check it out. Yeah, but, but, uh, yeah. If I can help you out, like if you want to do that, I can try to help you. Sure. I don't know a lot of people, but I know a few. So. Yeah, I've been after Sean. I've been after Abe. Uh, but um, uh, other than that, it's just been yeah. It's been I had like a detailed plan, and I've since abandoned that just because it's it was making me crazy. So just kind of trying, <laughs> like in Ross, be open to what you know what comes my way, and and just being receptive to things, and yeah, well, it's really um, worked. So. Yeah, I'll reach. I'll reach out to Sean. I'm going to see Abe tomorrow, so I'll, I'll put your name out out there and um, help you get Sean. I mean, you know, they're yeah. both kind of like, kind of downtime right now, so uh, yeah, if they can somehow work it out, it'd be awesome. Dude, that'd I mean, be I'd, great. Love hear, I'd love to hear them on the podcast. You know, yeah, so I would love I'll to try, just pick the brain. <laughs> cool, man. Well, awesome, and thank you again so much for the time, man. I really do appreciate it, and uh, yeah. We'll have to have you back on as well. Maybe, maybe at Furnace Fest. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be but, awesome. Uh, I'll uh, shoot you. Uh, I'll shoot you my number uh, on email here after this, and then uh, I'll get in touch with Ross this weekend. And awesome, yeah. Just reconnect. tell him I miss him and I love him and uh, hope he's doing good. And Absolutely. Hopefully, see him, see him soon eventually. Right on, brother. Yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening, man. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. All right, stay warm up there. All right, see you later, Jeff. Bye, Bye brother. Later. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jeff Irwin from Willhaven. What an awesome dude. So nice. Uh, we've kept in touch since, and uh, this was a few weeks ago when we did this, and I really uh, am glad to have a new buddy. Um, this band is great, and uh, new music coming from them with a new album called Seven. Uh, it's going to be incredible. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, and definitely, definitely check it out. Um, go hit them up on the socials. Give them some love on Spotify. Um there's there's something for everyone with that band um they've been around forever so they've got a a very rich uh back catalog so go check that out thanks again to jeff for coming on and uh i really appreciate you guys coming back week after week it really means a lot um this show would be nothing without you guys i know i say it all the time and everyone probably says that but literally this show would be nothing without you guys so thank you for coming back sharing it with people binging the episodes uh rating reviewing signing up for the premium stuff. Um, man, it's just a really humbling experience to do this show this many years in and, and really uh, seeing what's going on and, and uh, just really watching it grow organically. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm going to get out of here, check out the new Will Haven stuff. And as always, we'll see you on the radio.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.